In the field of biblical studies, uh, the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the synoptic Gospels. The word optic refers to seeing, and sin refers to together. So sin, together, optic means seen. Synoptic means they're seen together. If you take Matthew, Mark, and Luke and look at them together, they're pretty similar. They're pretty similar in how they outline the life of Jesus. They talk about similar things and use the same words. But even a quick reading of John's gospel, you will notice that it's significantly different. John writes the story of Jesus in a unique style. Instead of sharing many different events, he focuses only on some, and he goes into greater detail. He uses words that are rarely used elsewhere in the New Testament. John contains no parables, no list of the 12 disciples. He doesn't record Jesus' birth, his baptism, or the transfiguration. But on the other hand, John's gospel includes a large amount of material that is not included in the other gospels, such as his first miracle, turning water into wine. Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman the resurrection of Lazarus, the washing of the disciples' feet. And the Gospel of John contains more teaching on the Holy Spirit that is found in all the other three. It has become one of the most cherished books in the New Testament, if not the whole Bible. And toward the end of the book, John gives us his reason for writing his Gospel. His purpose is found in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. He writes this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is why John writes his gospel, to convince you that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, he wants you to believe. He wants to convince you to become one of Christ's followers. This is an evangelistic book. John wanted unbelievers to start believing and believers to continue believing. And this gospel does just that. Augustine said this, maybe, maybe Jerome said this, one of the ancient church fathers said, the gospel of John is shallow enough for a child to wade in it, but it's deep enough for an elephant to swim in it. It's a funny way of saying it's very accessible to anyone who wants to start reading the Bible, yet it has profound depths that will make even the smartest theologian's jaw drop. And this morning, we will begin by looking at John's prologue, his introduction to his gospel. I like what D.A. Carson says. He says that this is the foyer to the gospel, which means that as you come into this foyer, you're going to get all these themes, all of what John wants to say eventually in his gospel. He's hinting at it and dropping seeds that will soon blossom over the course of reading. So John's introduction is unique. Compared to the other Gospels, Matthew and Luke begin with birth, 
Mark begins with prophecy. John begins in eternity. John takes the reader back to the time before creation, focusing on Jesus, the pre-existent word. And so this morning, we will be looking at John chapter 1, only looking at the first five verses. John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of the Bibles in the backs of the pews and turn to page 833. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the Bible. It is your word, and you speak to us through it. Lord, we confess that our hearts are often distracted and cold. And so, Lord, we pray that you would revive us with your word this morning. We ask that you would work by the Holy Spirit, that we would understand and believe that you would help us to see Jesus for who he is and be changed by him as he calls us to himself in his grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This passage is one of the summits, the high points of Scripture. Here we see Jesus Christ being described as the Word, being described as eternal, the creator of everything, and the one who brings life and light. I've structured my sermon in the way that this text is written. We will see Number one, Jesus is the eternal Son of God in verses 1 and 2. We will see that Jesus is the creator of everything in verse 3. And then Jesus is life and light in verses 4 and 5. Pretty simple. And the main point, which I hope you see in the text this morning, is this. Jesus, the eternal word, brings life and light into the dark world of sin and death. Believe in him. Jesus, the eternal word, brings life and light into the dark world of sin and death. Believe in him. All right, so take a look again at verse 1. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning. What other, the, what other book of the Bible starts that way? Right, right. <laughs> if you've been around church for a while, if you're a Christian, the phrase in the beginning should remind you of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. John is intentionally pointing us back to the very first verse of the Bible. As Genesis tells us the story of creation by taking us back to the beginning, John tells us the story of Jesus by taking us back to the beginning. 
John wants you to see that Jesus isn't some person that appeared in world history, but that he is the eternal, preexistent Son of God who is in the beginning. John wants his readers to see that the God who commanded light and life to shine out of the darkness at the beginning is about to begin a new creation. The God who spoke light into the dark void has the power to bring life and light into the dark world of sin and death. God is about to accomplish a new creation through Jesus Christ. And so he begins with, in the beginning was the word. While we may not know who the word is when we read the Gospel of John for the first time, as we read verses 14 and 15, we quickly learn who this is. The word became flesh, the only son from the father. John is referring to Jesus Christ when he uses the title, the word. And John uses this word, the word, in order for us to see that Jesus is the ultimate revealer of who God is. If you want to get to know what God is like, then learn about Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the word. And in verse 1, we see three things about Jesus. Jesus is eternal. He is coexistent with God. And he is God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John declares the mystery of the Trinity in the fewest words possible. John writes that the word was in the beginning. He's pointing us far back, far beyond when the world was created, before time even began, into eternity. He says something very profound about Jesus. In the beginning was the word. Not became the word, or the word was made, but was the word. Jesus was not created. He never had a beginning. He has always been. That's mind-blowing. We can't even wrap our minds around that truth. But we have Christian creeds and confessions that proclaim this truth from Scripture, that he was begotten from the Father, not made. He existed long before being born in a manger. There never was a time where Jesus never was. He is preexistent. He is eternal. I know this is hard to understand, especially since we, because we live in a broken world where things don't last forever. But we can have hope in the fact that there is a God who is eternal and lasts forever. Jesus is eternal. In verse 1, we also see that the Word is coexistent with God. And the Word was with God. When John uses the word God here, he's referring to God the Father. He's pointing out that the Word is different from the Father. 
He intentionally makes this statement to make sure that people are understanding that God the Father and the Word are two distinct persons coexisting together. The Word was with God. The Word and God have a relationship. They have a connection. They're co-equal and yet distinct. Before stating that the Word was God, John wants to clarify that the Word is a separate person in the Trinity. And later on in John's Gospel, Jesus mentions this in the beginning relationship that he had with the Father. In John 17, 5, Jesus says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. John makes it very clear here that not only Jesus is eternal, not only is he coexistent with God the Father, but he is God. Jesus is not merely a created angel. He's not some sort of demigod or lesser god, which Jehovah Witnesses believe. No, God says here that the word was God. Jesus is God. And there were many false teachers in John's day, and there are many false teachers in our day who don't believe that Jesus is God. But clearly, here in the Bible, it's telling us that Jesus is God. And remember that these things were written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. John 1.1 is one of the supporting verses for the doctrine of the Trinity. We sang about it. I think two songs at least this morning. The doctrine of the Trinity is an essential doctrine for what Christians believe. But I do have to admit that there's much mystery surrounding the doctrine of the Trinity. Most books that I read on the Trinity have mystery in the title of them. It stretches the limits of our language and it stretches the limits of our understanding. But Trinity is a word that you won't find in the Bible, but it's a word used to explain what we see in the Bible. To put it as simply as I can, God reveals himself in three and one. Three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are distinct persons and yet one God. They're co-equal, they're co-eternal, they have the same nature and attributes, and they're worthy of the same worship and obedience. And even though at times it's, it's hard to wrap our minds around this, this is how God reveals himself to us. John isn't writing this in order for, have, for us to have all our dots aligned in Trinitarian theology, though. John is writing this so that we would marvel at our God who has come to us in his Son, Jesus Christ. In verse 2, John makes sure that we are clear on this. He says, we, he was in the beginning with God. God the Son was in the beginning with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Verses 1 and 2 show us who Jesus is. He is eternal. He is coexistent with God. 
and he is God. Now look at verse three. We see that Jesus is the creator of everything. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ is the creator of all things, everything, all things, the whole world, the whole universe, all things owe their existence to Jesus. John is pointing us back to Genesis again. How does God create? Does he mold the world into its form? Are there tools that he uses as he creates? No, he speaks. Think of Genesis 1-3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. He simply speaks. He uses words to bring about creation. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. The world was created by God the Father through God the Son. Nothing good in this world was made without Jesus. In fact, the New Testament tells us that not only did he make all things, he sustains all things. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 17 says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Let's just take a moment and think. Do you know this Jesus? When we were singing songs earlier, was this the one that you had in mind? Jesus is the word, the eternal son of God, the creator and sustainer of the universe. This single verse tells you to throw out all those theories of evolution. Tells you to throw out the Big Bang Theory. And it's sad that some really smart people waste their lives trying to explain how the world came to be and why we exist outside of what God has revealed. Children, students in this congregation, if you go to a school that tells you that the world was created by anything other than God, don't believe it. It's not true. The Bible says that Jesus made all things. Right now, Zoe's learning the Baptist Catechism, which is a summary of Christian beliefs in question and answer form. And so almost every day I'll ask her, Zoe, who made you? She says, God. What else did God make? God made all things. Jesus made all things. He is the creator of everything. Pastor Kevin DeYoung reminds us that without fail, no matter what you think about Jesus this morning, we can be sure that your Jesus is too small and mine as well. Because when you begin to think about all God has done through his word, 
and all he continues to do and sustain through his word, we realize that we're no danger of ever thinking too highly of God's word. The fact that Jesus, the word, created all things is extremely important as John lays out his argument for the new creation. In order for Jesus to be able to make things new, to recreate, he has to have the power to do it. And from these verses, we have seen he does. He is the eternal God who created the world. Now look at verses four through five. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Life, light, and darkness are very important themes in John's gospel. We're going to see these pop up all over the place. And we see John that is pulling these themes from Genesis. In the book of Genesis, there is this absence of life and light in the beginning. There was no form, just a dark void. But then God speaks and light appears. Have you noticed that the sun, moon, and the stars actually happen later? God speaks and then light appears. Not from the sun, not from the moon, not from the stars. But out of nowhere, light appears at God's command. And as he speaks, plants and trees come to life for the first time ever. And then living creatures. And then the pinnacle of his creation, the crown of his creation, man is created in the image of God. And in Genesis 1 and 2, God and man live together in this beautifully created world. And life is abundant. There is no more dark Void because the greater light during the day and the lesser night light during the night, but it doesn't last. In Genesis 3, we see the fall of man, where Adam and Eve are deceived and they sin against God, which causes this separation from God. Sin and death spreads to all men. The world is cursed, bringing about darkness and brokenness. And so John, who is explaining how Jesus is bringing a new creation, uses these same words of life, light, and darkness. John says, in him was life. Jesus isn't some religious figure that only matters within Christianity. Rather, he is the one who made everything that exists and the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. The way that most of us in our culture think of things is that life just happens, and then Christianity, going to church, all this stuff is just an extra add-on to life. But John explains here that that's not the case. He is saying belief in Jesus matters because he is the creator who provides physical life. He is the redeemer who provides spiritual life, and the Savior, who provides abundant and eternal life. You should believe in Jesus because in him is life. And all of us chase after things that we believe are going to be life. Politics, 
money, sex, sports, school, a new job, a new home. We try to find life there, but we won't. In Jesus is life. He is the source of life, and he is the way to life. And John, we will see that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And sin has brought about death, physical and spiritual death. The spiritual life that mankind once had with God was replaced with spiritual death. In Ephesians 2, it tells us that outside of Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are born into this world spiritually dead. We have no inclination towards God, no ability to please him. And so if we are dead, then that means we need life. And John tells us here in this text that in Jesus, there is life. If he is the eternal God who created and gives life to all things, then he can give life to those who are spiritually dead. John expresses this all throughout his gospel. Think about John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Or what Jesus says in John 5.24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Jesus comes to bring eternal life. But he also comes to bring abundant life. Even in the most difficult of circumstances. And it's really sad that many Christians who have eternal life do not see the abundant life that Christ gives. Instead of living a miserable life and always complaining, Christians are meant to live lives of joy and thankfulness and to be a blessing to others. Belief in Jesus, the Son of God, gives life. Look at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. What does John mean when he says that Jesus is the light of men? Jesus being the light means that he is the one who is making God known. Light is often associated with illumination. Before Christ came into the world, the world was in darkness. The world did not know God. Just as death came into the world because of sin, darkness came into the world because of sin. And once you've been in the, in the dark for a while, your eyes kind of adjust, right? And you don't really notice the darkness anymore. This is how sin is. We get caught up in it, and we don't even realize the damage that it's doing to us and doing to others. Sin is the greatest disease that ever was and ever will be. It affects the whole human race, no matter what social class, nationality, or gender. You are infected with this deadly disease, but we often don't see it. Jesus says in John chapter 12, the one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. 
And that's why we need light. What does light do to the darkness? The light exposes. You see the dangers around you. It also reveals. Before Jesus came into the world, it was full of darkness. And his light illuminates to reveal who God really is, to help us to see our sin and our need for a savior. And by using this reference to light, John is alluding to creation. The light shines in the darkness. That's what happens in the beginning, in Genesis. The coming of Jesus into the world is like that. It is a light shining into the darkness, bringing about a new creation. Jesus has come to shed his light into the dark parts of our lives so that we would see our sin. And so we will have to choose. Do we want the light? Or do we want to stay in darkness? Jesus is light. And so encountering Jesus is going to be a little uncomfortable because the light of Jesus is going to shine in places in your life where you wish it wouldn't. He has come into the world so that we would not remain in darkness. And look at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This verse can be translated two different ways, which is probably John's intention. He wanted us to take it both ways. It can either be the darkness has not understood the light, or, or and the darkness has not overcome it. And we will see that Jesus is often hated by the religious leaders of the day who scheme to kill him because they are threatened by him and they think that he's a blasphemer. These men did not see or understand who Jesus was. They despised the light. And the same thing happens today. People who do not understand the light unless they are born of God. They flee from the light. They try to hide their evil in the darkness. The darkness has not understood it. But also John says, the darkness has not overcome it. While Jesus was crucified and killed and buried, he did not stay in the grave. He rose, defeating darkness, sin, and death. Jesus is victorious. Darkness is not able to overcome or conquer the light as a single candle in a room can overcome darkness like that. So also the powers of darkness are overcome by who Jesus is and what he has done through his death and resurrection. 2 Corinthians 4.6 says this, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is bringing life and light into the dark world of sin and death. He is recreating by redeeming sinful men and women, helping them to see who God is and to know him. And as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus can do this because he's not just a man. He's not an angel or some being sent from God. He is the redeemer. The recreator of mankind needs to be the eternal God, the creator and sustainer of the, of the universe, the one who has life in himself and who is true light. And this is exactly who Jesus is. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, who commanded light to shine out of the darkness in the beginning, has the power to bring life and light into this dark world full of sin and death. And so as we close, let's take a moment and consider these truths. Because Jesus is the eternal God, we should believe him and submit our lives to him as the sovereign Lord. Because Jesus is the creator, we should worship him as we see what he has made. If his life is in us, our salvation is secure. Because he is our life, we should be filled with hope that we will spend all eternity with him. And because he is our light, we should let him shine into every decision we make and into every area of our lives. John, through this text, is calling you to believe. So do you believe? Is Jesus your hope? If you aren't a Christian, I urge you to believe in Jesus Christ. And for those who do believe, the reality here is that we often live life thinking that other things are more pressing, more significant. John wants us to remember the gospel, to remember that where life is found, to remember that you once lived in darkness and God saved you. But unfortunately, so often we forget. This morning, let this be fresh news to you as we reflect on what it took Jesus to, be, to bring about this new creation, we should remember how deadly and serious our sin is. J.C. Ryle said, if no one less than the eternal God, the creator and preserver of all things could take away the sin of the world, sin must be a far more detestable thing in the sight of God than men suppose. Only the blood of the Son of God is able to save us. Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the world, left the fellowship that he had with the Father. God came down in the person of Jesus. Our sin must be great and serious. In ourselves, we are great sinners. But in Jesus, we have a great Savior. The light has come into the world.
and the darkness will not overcome that light. How are you responding to the light? Jesus, the eternal word, brings life and light into the dark world of sin and death. Believe in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we go through this series in the Gospel of John, that you cause those who do not know you to believe, to believe in Jesus. And Lord, for those of us who do believe, who do know you, help us to continue to believe, to grow in our love and obedience to you. Help us to know and trust and worship the one who is the word, the creator of all things, the true light, the savior, your son, our Lord Jesus. We pray in his name, amen.